You are now tuning in to the Own the Build podcast. Join Sealing's very own Paul Hemming, where each week he interviews experts from the world of construction and asks all the important questions around intelligent construction management. Hello and welcome to episode 82 of the Own the Build podcast with me, Paul Hemming. I hope everyone is doing very well today. I am coming live from the studio in some quite atmospheric conditions, honestly. There is a huge thunderstorm outside. If you're lucky, you might even hear a little bit of it. Just a little reminder from me, as I like to do at the top of the show. If you're listening on Apple, you're listening on Spotify, just hit the subscribe button. Just hit a lovely little rating or even leave us a review if you like what we do. Again, lots of people reaching out to me on LinkedIn. show is really, really growing, really developing. Share it with your mates. Tell me how much you like it. I will be very, very happy. And anyway, on to today's show. Today, we are joined by Mina Sankar, who is Partner and Head of Specifications at Ryder Levitt Bucknell, a global construction and property consultancy. I'm sure some people have heard of them. I certainly have. How are you doing today, Mina? I'm well, thank you, Paul, and how are you doing? Well, like I said, there is a huge thunderstorm outside, which I'm quite enjoying looking at. I'm very well, and I'm even better to hear a lovely South African accent in my ears, as I'm certain are all of the listeners. You're from Durban, is that right? That's right. Quite a few people can't place the accent, but what they don't realise as well is that the different cities have different accents, and they're quite... You know, they vary in their strains. I wish I was uh, adept enough to be able to place it city by city. I'm going, I'm going <laughs> to openly say that you told me yeah. that you were from Durban before. And I'm just <laughs> yes. Well, yeah. Um, most people can't place the accent. It's just some words that come through. And then you know, she's from Durban. I'm a big fan of the accent regardless. And you just got back from Durban after a few years pre-COVID since you'd been back there, is that right? Yes, absolutely. It was um, the last time I was in South Africa was in December of 2019. Before the so world it was fell good. to pieces. Before the pandemic, before the world literally came to its knees. <laughs> so it was good to visit family. It was long overdue. Technology's been great, but nothing beats being there in person to visit with your family and your friends and your loved ones. Well, I'm glad that you got home because that must have been a uh, long few years without seeing your family and your friends. So touched on the fact that you're originally from Durban. Talk to us. Our listeners don't know you. Talk to us about who you are, your the business that you're working in, and your experience to date. Okay, so as you mentioned, I'm currently a partner at Ryder Levitt Bucknell, and I head up the specification consultancy service line. We work predominantly producing specifications on behalf of architects and developers, and I've been in the construction industry for around about 20 plus years starting off in South Africa, and I spent just over a decade in the Middle East, and I'm now in the UK, so quite looking forward to it. So you've done projects in South Africa, the Middle East, and in the UK now, or you've been exposed to those different projects, and you work for a big consultancy, so you must have been on some pretty 
cool projects. What's the favourite project on your portfolio? What are you most proud of? The Expo's thematic districts. Dubai Expo 2020, we had quite a few projects come over the line, but the thematic districts, I'm sure you must have seen a picture of them, they looked like petals over a building, but the buildings are shaped like petals, so I'm quite proud of that one. They're always amazing, aren't they, the Expos? Yeah. I went to Expo in Milan, um, which would have been 2016, I guess, would have been four years prior. And, yeah. and the buildings there were absolutely amazing. I didn't get to go to the Dubai one. I guess you were out there at the time, were you? Or did you just go back? No, uh, I went back in February this year because it was supposed to be the Expo 2020, but they actually rolled it out in 2021, again, due to the pam pandemic. But I'll tell you what, Paul, when you look at a drawing or an image or CGI of a building and you see it come to life in front of you, it is amazing yeah yeah absolutely no I can, I can completely imagine and so we talked about or you briefly touched on your what you what you do so you are partner and you're also head of specifications now what is the job description for someone who is head of specifications that's it's semi new to me what what is that exactly what does it entail so as I've mentioned our clients are predominantly architects or developers and we produce the architectural specifications on behalf of these disciplines. A specification essentially is a written document that clearly outlines the scope of work, any materials that are meant to be used, quality, methods of installation under a contract. But to us, to me, a specification is a document that confirms the buy. That is what Mr. Employer or Mr. Developer is getting at the end of the project. That's what he invested in, that was his vision, and this is his output. Ultimately, the reason why people come to us for specifications is because that document is a contractual document, as I mentioned, and it is meant to mitigate disputes and risks throughout the project life cycle. Essentially, that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. So I, I'm a, uh, I'm a QS, as, as, as you know, and specification. Don't look. Don't roll your eyes. Don't touch at me. I've heard. I've heard it all before. <laughs> and in, in fact, I mean that is probably the least demeaning I've had today, or maybe actually the most, because it was so blasé almost. But I know, you're gonna have to, you're gonna have to deal with it for another half an hour. I am a QS, so I totally understand. You know. Specification is there to help you define the scope, etc., etc. What I was um, less aware of was that architectural practices would employ a specific specification consultant to help them frame exactly that specification, or that the developer direct would. Right? Why? Why is that? Why is it not something that the architectural practices do? Simply because, well, it is a written document. It's technical. It's contractual, and if you were somebody owning an architectural practice, would you want your guys sitting there designing, which is what you want architects to do, or would you want them sitting there writing a spec, something they aren't quite familiar with? You know, you, you as an owner of a business or an architectural leader would want to ensure that that spec is undisputable. For peace of mind, outsource it knowing your specs in safe hands, and you've got your designers doing what they do best, designing. And so is the effort and the drafting of the specification like 
an absolute collaboration with the architect who wants to keep their hands all over the design or do you see what I mean? Because they want to have this beautiful designed and delivered project that is their name. How do that how does that relationship work between you and them? Oh, it's absolutely collaborative. It has to be because the specs have to align with your design drawings. It has to simply if there's a misalignment in any way, that's a specification gap and and that's a risk you do not want to take. So we work quite collaboratively with architects to make sure that you have that spec document and you have the drawings um, and then the contractor has that to go forward with onto site. I'd say, Paul, in this Lots day and age... smiles and smirks here. Yeah, I'd say in this day and age, Paul, you know, when the contractor's on site, you know, the first thing he, he goes to double-check something is smack the drawings on the table, right, bring the spec is it aligning? What does the spec say? If there's any query on site, those are the documents that form part of your contract and you know you're clean. And, and yeah, I, th I think you're absolutely right. You know, what, what does the spec say? What does the scope say? Etc. Etc. So I'm trying to picture projects. I used to work on big jobs where you'd have a thousand page spec. I'm guessing you're delivering similar sized documents. Are these specs typically used on design and build projects? Is it traditional? Like, how does it? Where are you most typically seeing specifications used? Well, they're used across any type of project, be it design and build or traditional. Either way, you still want a spec to uh, accompany your design drawings because that is a contractual document. You know, it's it's. Currently in the market, we are providing more design and build specifications as opposed to traditional. And I think the reason why that's come about is because of, you know, the various factors feeding into the market at the moment. Everybody's reviewing procurement routes simply because of the uh, post-COVID fallout, you know, the conditions of the market, the U Ukraine issues post-Brexit. We've got all these factors weighing into it and then you've got the huge energy hikes. So everybody's going back to the drawing board to say, well, right, let's review the procurement route on these projects, see what works best, and let's try and factor that in to find out whether a project is actually viable, financially viable or not. So design and build, now that is kind of it was my old bread and butter. And this is where you're going to start tutting and sighing and rolling your eyes even more about me being a QS. So design and build, right? As a contractor, I was a subcontractor, but contractor or subcontractor. With design and build procurement, I assume responsibility for the design, right? So you can set out the spec. And obviously, if the spec is really prescriptive and says you must use this, I have to use it. If the spec isn't prescriptive in all circumstances or maybe says approved or similar then there starts to be what I would describe historically kind of opportunities right so if I was a subcontractor QS as I was in my past if I was looking at the cladding and I was saying you know got to use this type of panel you've got to use x y and z or it says approved or similar you, you know it, it, the spec can give you flexibility I would have always seen that as an opportunity for the business that I was working for to say, okay, so we've priced for X, 
but actually the spec allows similar or alternatives. I'm going to go out to the market, try and find some similar and alternatives and see if I can buy better, see if I can make more money. How does, as a spec writer, which you are, how does that make you feel? Well, as long as the design intent, which is with design and build, as long as the performance requirements are locked into your spec as a minimum set of criteria that the contractor has to adhere to, then I have no complaints. That is why the spec becomes so important. And we don't say approved or similar, we say or acceptable equivalent, but I'm being pedantic. Oh, <laughs> I like that. I've, I'm, I, I haven't been in, that must be a new-ish kind of phenomenon. Um, I always why, remember approved or similar. Yeah, the reason why we moved away from using the word approved is because worst case scenario, something goes into litigation, you are kind of locked in there. So that spec, like I said, is meant to mitigate disputes or claims as far as possible. So we always say acceptable equivalent. So you've got your standard criteria, your performance requirements, the design intent is all there, and that's what the contractor is going to take and make sure he adheres to as far as possible. That's so interesting. So approved or similar, at some point, I'm guessing there was, and this isn't something necessary for you to quote or confirm, I'm guessing at some point there was some case law where an alternative was chosen, it was approved by the client, which in some way rubber stamps it and takes some responsibility for it, which then... Well, yes. Yeah. Okay, Absolutely. That, that... Spot on. Uh, it, it, it leaves an architectural practice or a designer open to risk. Whereas accepted... To bill equivalent yeah. gives you a bit of flexibility. You're kind of giving it back to the uh, main contractor, yeah. subcontractor. Excellent. That's so, so interesting. And I want to talk to you probably in the second half of the show about kind of like the art of writing a specification. I'm guessing that's going to be part of it. But what is a NBS specification? Like, is that the same as specification? Like, talk to me about NBS specification. That's what I always. Uh, saw when I was working before. Okay, so an NBS uh, specification is not the same as a specification. So oh, here we in go. short, no. <laughs> not okay, so, happy. Mina is uh, yeah, no. this <laughs> You know what? I think it's because when you work in specs, you do tend to become quite pedantic about things. So, I guess you have and, to be and if wording. you're writing you specs. Have to That's be. the thing. So a lot of clients, too often clients come to us and they say, oh, you know, I still get it now, Paul. Um, we'd like an NBS spec for, for something. And, and I'd say, okay, what you actually mean to say was you want a cause format of spec or common arrangement of work section, which is your L10, um, you know, your Zs, your A sections. So it all follows a format. NBS the wording MBS is actually a software product. It's a product to produce the spec. So it's a software you use to produce the specifications. But because the industry, as they've evolved, um, has become so used to MBS It's a bit spec, like saying Kleenex. A's and Z's. Exactly. It's like saying Q-Tex for nail polish. I well, you, you're, 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 you're yeah. starting to get into areas which I am not an expert in. <laughs> <laughs> no, but okay, so the NBS specification is a Ooh. brand for delivering specifications. Yes, it's, it, it's a type of software. It's a software. Yeah. And so and, and your format is cause or common arrangement of work sections. 
got you. Okay, really, really interesting. And now that we've kind of cleared that up, and I think we're still okay, despite me being a QS, I think we will discuss more about the art of writing and specification right after this break. Hello, it's me again. I wanted to share a quick story with you on why I co-founded C-Link with my best mate, Chris. Chris and I, we're both QSs, and this is going to sound sad, but one night we were sat in the pub talking about subcontract tendering and we realised the industry had a problem. Number one, procurement was too paper-based. Number two, it was too time-consuming and every QS had their own unique way of doing things. And number three, perhaps most importantly, if you want to competitively tender, you need to know hundreds of the best subcontractors. We simply didn't. That's why we created C-Link. It's software to solve subcontract tendering. We wanted to remove these challenges and help the industry get better. So if you, or someone you know, tenders with subcontractors, you've got to see our software. Head over to our link, www.get.c-link.com forward slash podcast to find out more. I will include it in the description box. So again, there's no excuses. Now, let's get right back to the show. So I talked in the first half of the show about the atmospheric conditions outside with the thunderstorm. But guys, fortunately it wasn't being recorded, but Mina has just been pretty mean about QSs. <laughs> she's all sm- she's all smiles and and laughter, but I'm telling you, she would she's just hurt my feelings off air. I don't I don't know if I could deal with this anymore. <laughs> all jokes aside, you talked about being pedantic in the first half and I imagine as a specification writer being pedantic is quite literally part and parcel of what you have to do because it is nuts and bolts literally so I wanted to ask you as our specification expert about the art of writing specification so could you explain how you go about the process of doing such a thing Unfortunately, at uni, the production of a specification isn't quite covered. So there's no process or protocol um, that companies or or students or or people adhere to. So I would always suggest that organisations should have a clear precedent or protocol for the production of specifications. For us, we have such a protocol. When we are engaged on a project, the first thing we do is arrange, um, you know, once the freeze gets sorted and we know we're going forward with it, we arrange a kickoff meeting, a briefing with the design team. We get the latest design information and we use a sort of checklist that raises the questions in the designers' minds of things they probably haven't thought about. So it's almost using like a base document that goes through the building with the systems. Say, right, do you have this? Do you have that? What is your procurement route? And that's the part that stumps most people, Paul, because the procurement route is so important. And with clients as well, they need to understand what they are contractually bound to deliver. So whatever they are submitting for a particular design stage, 
that spec has to be the right format, it is appropriate for their work stage, and it reflects the procurement route. So these are the types of questions that we ask straight away through this briefing or checklist document. And I would suggest, I mean, we follow this process and as part of the CPDs that I offer companies, I give them suggestions of how to work through the process. Um, so whether they use us for specifications or do it in-house, ideally there should be a protocol for it. At what stage in like the REBA process and at what stage in like the project process and the project thinking, you know, you've got these big clients employing architectural practices. At what point does the architect, and this might sound really stupid, but what, at what point does the specification start to move from like concept to like absolute reality? Is that construction just before tender stage, I guess? Uh, yeah, well, normally... Once concept is complete, then, you know, the options are all sorted. So you need it from REBA stage three, which is spatial coordination, through to REBA stages four, five and six. Well, it depends on, on uh, the procurement route that the project is following. But ideally, we normally come in after concept design. Okay. And I saw that on, um, you mentioned there about the fact that you do CPD on how to to your clients on how to put together specifications. You guys are the experts. You are the expert on it, Mina. But I read in one of your presentations that you very kindly shared with me a statistic which I wanted to ask you about, which said that 25% of projects have been delayed due to poor quality specifications. Could you talk to us about Yeah, I mean, that? more often than not, the poor quality of the specs is down to incomplete or uncoordinated information. And that's because when you have a design team uh, that has various disciplines, everybody's working in their own silo and forgets that the design needs to be coordinated. The specifications need to be coordinated across the project. Um, the added complication also arises when the spec that has been produced or is looking to be produced is not appropriate for the end of work stage or the procurement route. And this is why I just mentioned, Paul, that it all comes back to the contract. There's no use the architect going ahead with a design team on a deliverable if he's not contractually bound in his head agreement to deliver XYZ at REBA stage three, REBA stage four. And that's where the next question comes in is this meant to be a pricing document? Is it meant to be a tender document? So the only suggestion I could give people out there who, who may be interested to mitigate this risk is to have some sort of gateway check in place as the project progresses and throughout the, the life cycle of the project. And that gateway check should definitely not come in two weeks before your 100% submission. It has to come in at the 50% milestone because that's how you know everything's on track. And for you, it's a coordination tool? Yes. That's really interesting. I mean, it's obvious, actually, when you think about it, but I've never thought about a spec as a coordination tool before, but that, that does make a huge amount of sense. In regards to... Again, I'm going to go back to what I know here, and I'm going to be... QS, get those eyes rolling, get that smirk going. Specification gaps. I'm guessing specification gaps are kind of everything that you don't want when you're, you're a specification writer. How do you 
draft a specification? What are the processes that you go for through in order to prevent spec gaps? Is it possible to 100% prevent a spec gap? I think if it was 100% possible, we wouldn't need something like professional indemnity, Paul. So nothing's 100%. Um, but also, look, as I explained to you, we've got this base information and detailing document that we make sure is tabled at our first briefing meeting and we go through it with the client to say, this is our scope, this is what we're covering, where's your latest drawings, and then we send them what we call which is our first port of call, is a system reference sheet. It's a coding schedule of all the elements we think is going to be used on the project. Now, with the gaps that occur on other projects, people who don't use us... <laughs> um, <laughs> upsell, upsell, upsell. <laughs> yeah, um, I'd say more often than not, it's down to design management because... As I've said, you know, you've got this, and, and on the larger projects, I've seen it, you've got all of these uh, disciplines working on a project, but you need that one person, like, you know, school kids, and you need the principal to rally the troops and say, actually, this is break time, this is, you know, socializing, and you do need somebody to pull it all together, right, Mr. MEP. It's coordination again. Yeah, Mr. MEP, what do you need to progress? Has everybody got the latest set of of drawings and information it comes down to design management mm -hmm. and, and and so I guess you know I've been in design meetings and I'm interested because it does feel like obviously a spec gap is something which it makes total sense that comes from a lack of coordination design management how do you you, you talk there about like marshalling the playground almost how do you integrate the architect services facade engineers, all of these together to make sure that there are, are you having sp specific specification meetings where you're all signing off saying, yes, that's for that, that is for that, and where everything is getting packaged up together and is a lack of that coordination in those meetings what leads to specification gaps? Well, the reason why I know it comes down to design management is because whilst I was in the Middle East, I was a design manager. So I covered design management as well. So I knew this is what we're doing and there was a need for it a very real need for it now what we do as well is that coding schedule that base document i told you we use as a tick sheet we also include queries on it so we don't like to repeat we stay away from repeating information in the architectural specification i'll give you an example so if you've got a sustainability target criteria a special code if you've got a sustainability consultant on board and they are producing a report we would take the name of that report and we would refer to it within the architectural specification because the onus is then upon the contractor to make sure he's reading the spec in conjunction with that document what we don't do is take that specific code and include it in our spec because post-contract something may change and you've got misaligned information and that mitigates your risk for misalignment straight away. So can you prevent them 100% from happening? I don't think you can, but you can, as far as possible, have some sort of document um, or building, base building check sheet in play to say, right, you know, do you have these documents? Have you thought about these elements, base build elements? 
and have you more often actively than not, coordinated it. the consultants yeah. effectively? Okay. And yeah. Now, I'm guessing that there is a lot of time where, or almost all of your clients, given the nature of your company and the size of your consultancy, that almost all of your clients will be large tier one clients working on bigger schemes. So on almost all of those projects, a specification is something that is going to be there, something that's going to be very much relevant. There are lots of people who will be listening, who will be working for smaller, medium-sized projects where specifications will be there. They might not be quite as detailed and as coordinated as the ones that you are involved in. But what would your advice be about specifications to smaller businesses and smaller projects? I would say that this decision comes down to the project fee. We are in a climate at the moment, Paul, where PI requirements and premiums are through the roof. The costs of premiums are exorbitant and it is key that you have an undisputable risk-averse document in place that mitigates that risk to both a project and a business. So, you know, outsourcing, as I've said, allows the architects to focus on the design and know that your specs are in safe hands. And we also bring our own PI with it. And also for it's guaranteeing your product, isn't it? If you're a residential developer, you're absolutely guaranteeing that there is no stone left unturned. This is the product that I want. This is what my this is the target market I'm going this out to. This is the to. buy. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. Okay, so I've learned many, many things on this. I mean, NBS specification, I'm never going to mention that again. because I'm probably not going to mention that I'm a QS again because that's, <laughs> that's, that's not a good idea. Um, but really fascinating conversation. I guess one thing that I often ask people with interesting jobs about is, you know, what is one common myth about being a specification writer that you would like to dispel what is one thing that people think you do that you want to put to bed well paul i didn't want to be rude earlier when you called us when you called us specification writers because that's the difference so specification writers scribe consultants which is what we do consult and that means the difference lies in the nuances right in america for example you have the specifications that are purely, you know, done by scribers, write everything out, purely automated almost. But with consultants, you have that consultancy element when it comes down to, right, we're on a design and build procurement route and we need to write this product prescriptively or descriptively. What's the impact on the procurement route? What's the impact on the spec? So it's these kind of nuances that sets the precedent or, or the difference between the writer and the consultant. So I have been well and truly uh, put in Schooled. my place. School, <laughs> even worse, even worse. And this is, I, I've not done a good job for all you QSs listening. Here. I've done a, a disservice there, but that's really, really a fascinating conclusion to the conversation. Thank you very much for coming on the show, Mina. I will be sharing your details and RLB's details in the podcast description. Thank you for coming on the thank show. You, and thank you, Paul, for having me. Thank you for biting your tongue as much as you possibly could about QSs. <laughs>
Oh, I love QSs. RLB is a QS-led business. <laughs> exactly. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. You've got to be careful, haven't yeah. you? Well, that's why we make such a good fit, you know, within within the practice, because you have all of these um, value-add services that, you know, makes you guys look good. There we go. <laughs> that's all we need to hear. Guys, I will speak to you next week. Yeah. Mina, thank you for your time. All right. Thank you. Take care. Speak to you soon.